0: To our great shepherd this morning, Lord, we thank you for being so great and that you would invite each of us to come and meet with you. We look forward to what you want to teach us out of your powerful word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and we look forward to meeting with you, and we thank you for our instruments and music and words that allow us to lift you up. You alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Have a seat. I'm Kim, and I'm so glad you're here with us today. We are going to take a look. At What Ron said, four words out of Psalm 23. So right now, you might want to just test your memory just a little bit. Let's read the beginning of Psalm 23. And If you don't want to look at the screen, that's your prerogative. You ready? Let's try it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Now, what is my soul? We're going to look at those words that are so practical. So if you would like, you can grab your outline. It looks like this and a pen. Because nothing could be more useful in our everyday lives than knowing that he restores our soul. Now, my soul is the part of me that thinks and feels and chooses. Let's say it in the order that it's on the screen. My soul is the part of me that thinks, chooses, and feels. Okay, your soul is who you really are. It's easy for those vital parts of you to get broken to be needing restoration. And I've told you, my friends, before about a time in my life, years before I met my husband, when I was barely past my teen years, you know, back when I knew everything, yeah, I had a soul-damaging experience. I invested three or four good years in a relationship with a guy who turned out to be a liar, I came really close to marrying Steve, but three days before our wedding, he was arrested. Thank God. (laughs) That was a soul wounding experience. My mind was clogged with thoughts and questions about how I could have been so deceived. I mean, my will had shown itself to be totally unreliable, and my emotions, well, I was a wreck. Now, maybe you have been through a world uh, like an earth-shaking experience in your own life, something that shook you up really good. But you know what I've noticed? It doesn't take a big catastrophe to have your soul get bruised, right? Sometimes just getting behind the wheel of your car can be dangerous. I remember where I was in traffic over on Dog Bar when another driver clearly waved at me with his middle finger because I had forgotten to signal. And I felt bruised in my soul, you know? That's why I love these four words, that he restores my soul, because our shepherd really does want us to live above brokenness. And I hope that you're going to see what I mean, that on a daily, ongoing basis, he wants to restore our souls. Now, some of us here, he restores my soul, and we think, oh, that's nice, I was depressed, and he made me feel better about myself. Our world has replaced the word soul with the concept of self. I mean, our soul and our self though are really not the same, are they? In fact, the more we focus on ourselves, the more we neglect our souls. Focus on my soul means to look at my life under the care of and connection with God. But focus on myself apart from God means Losing awareness of what matters most. I want to recommend a great book to you. It helped so much for me to prepare for today. This is Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. And he says the American Medical Association did a study that revealed that in the 20th century, each generation was three times more likely to experience depression than the generation before it that even though the mental health profession is on the rise, that people are becoming more vulnerable to depression. And he he quotes a brilliant psychologist with no religious axe to grind named Martin Seligman, who says he ventures a theory about this. He says it's because we have replaced church and faith and community with a tiny little unit that cannot bear the weight of meaning, and that is the self. We're all about the self, right? I mean, if you're stressed, you need to take care of yourself. If you have a job interview, you need to believe in yourself. If you're in the tattoo parlor, you need to express yourself. If you're not getting your way, you have to stand up for yourself. What should you do on a date? You need to be yourself. Well, what if your self is a train wreck? What do you do then? <laughs> Yourself is a stand-alone, do-it-yourself unit. But the soul reminds us that we weren't made for ourselves. Can you imagine singing, Then sings myself, my Savior God to thee. (laughs) Or what about Jesus lover of myself. It doesn't work, does it? I like how Dallas Willard put it. He goes, I am an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's glorious universe. See, the soul exists before God. And David, who wrote Psalm 23, saw himself that way. He saw himself as a sheep under the good shepherd's care. And that's why when he tasted defeat, when he fell on his face under temptation, when he felt beat up, that he said, he restores my soul. And he used a particular word, okay? When he says he restores my soul, we're told that the original Hebrew word for restore is literally, he brings me back. He brings me back, not he props me up, he makes me feel better. The good shepherd goes after that wandering sheep and carries it back, why? Because sheep get lost. And it's kind of funny to me how we're compared in the Bible to sheep. Yeah, look at that face. Now, Ron has mentioned a great book that has been a good resource for our whole series. And this is Philip Keller's book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. He says that once a sheep realizes that he's lost, it tries to hide under a bush or a rock. And it begins bleeding and quivering. And the shepherd has to find it quickly before it's found and killed by wild animals. And when it's found, it's usually too traumatized to walk and has to be carried back. Now, David, he was a shepherd, and he knew all about wandering lost sheep. And that a good shepherd persistently and faithfully goes after that lost sheep and brings it back. But David was also obviously aware of another bizarre aspect of sheep. And I want to show you another place in scripture, Psalm 42, where David talked about our souls being like sheep. Okay, watch this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Now, I want you to circle those words, cast down. Did you know he's talking about sheep again? This is a real thing with sheep. Cast, sheep. It's fascinating. Now, we have a little video that we're going to show you that's going to be silent while I explain to you. It turns out that getting lost isn't the only danger for a sheep. Go ahead and run that video. Okay, watch this. That word cast means a sheep that has turned over on its back and it cannot get up again by itself. It kind of shocked me. I mean, its feet are in the air and it flails frantically, struggling to stand up. Sometimes it will bleed a little for help, but generally it lies there lashing about. And, you know, when the sheep panics and paws at the air, it actually can make things worse until the shepherd comes and writes it. Now, notice this shepherd has to make sure to steady this ewe after he gets her on her feet, or else she'll just go flop again. Sometimes the shepherd has to even massage the legs of the sheep to get blood flowing again. Isn't that bizarre? Now, I found this such a mystery that I was thrilled to realize that we have a real shepherd among us. This is Roger. Everybody welcome Roger with me. Yeah. Yeah. I was grateful when Roger shared with me about cast sheep. And then he told me that he was even going to be here this morning helping us on stage with all of our needs. I said, Roger, would you just come out and talk with us a little bit about this bizarre aspect of cast sheep? He is a retired farm advisor and he is a shepherd. He has 80 of his own sheep right now down in Auburn. So thank you for coming. And I have a question first. Because of this bizarre behavior of sheep, they kind of have this bad rap of not being so smart. Can you comment on that first? What do you think?
1: Yeah, in my view, I think uh, sheep are uh, intelligent, and they're also uh, very resilient. And those are needed as they survive and thrive on the extensive pastures and rangelands uh, that they graze on. But left alone, they'll just wander aimlessly. And that's where I come in in my role as shepherd, and with the help of a herding dog, I'm able to bring them to food and to water and to shelter and also make sure that they're safe. And that's why Psalm 23 is so meaningful to me, because I know I need a shepherd too.
0: Okay, so what about the cast sheep? I mean, what is it about, and this this sheep is not dead, he's cast, okay? And, or I think she's a she, she's a you. (laughs) Anyway, what is it about their anatomy that makes this a possibility, and why is it so dangerous for a sheep?
1: Well, during the course of a day, a sheep is going to want to lay down, and they're not always on flat ground. Sometimes there's dips in the ground. Uh, Sometimes if it's a steep hillside, they might be on the downhill side. And where this can really become a problem is, uh, say, about the last six weeks of uh, pregnancy, because they are going to start to get really big bellies. And then as they move later in the spring, they'll get a little heavier with wool, and that might pick up mud and uh, debris and so they literally get down and then they can't get up if you don't do anything or you can't you don't get there quick enough what can happen is uh, gases will start to build up in the abdomen and just like in david's time they're more vulnerable to uh, predators and in addition they can't drink any water Mm -hmm. so you've got to do something right away or they will die
0: Wow, I can imagine then how anxious of a situation it would be for a shepherd to go out and find that there's a buzzard or a vulture in the sky.
1: Most definitely, yeah. Make your heart skip a beat. Sure.
0: Thank you, Roger. Would you guys thank him with me? Yeah, appreciate it, Roger. You know, we are going to just lean into this picture about cast sheep. This is not a livestock seminar, but isn't it amazing? all that we can learn from the bible because our souls really can be like a cast sheep and that's why David would compare it that way so you might want to write down what causes a cast sheep like he said the first problem is they're looking for a soft spot okay do you see the analogy like just like you and me a sheep looks for the soft spot to lie down A sheep will lie down comfortably in a depression, like Roger says, and then maybe roll a bit too far, and then the center of gravity shifts, and they cannot get their feet on the ground again. And in our lives, there is a danger in always looking for the easy place, the comfortable position, the cozy corner, right, where there's no real hardship. I wanted to ask you, have you ever seen this picture? This makes me laugh. There's an escalator. Leading up to a fitness center. Now, I don't know, wouldn't it be great to just make fitness less work, right? Maybe that escalator is going backwards or something, I don't know. But think about it God doesn't aim for easy, does He? I mean, in the Bible, does He ever go to somebody and say, hey, uh, like Abraham, Moses, Esther? I'd like you to do something for me, but it won't take much time. I wouldn't want to inconvenience you. God's not like somebody from the PTA who's looking for a volunteer. He is always intrusive, demanding, exhausting. I mean, he says we should be ready for the world to be hard and for our assignments to be hard. But there is the word easy in the Bible once. We got to look at this verse last week when Jesus says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And now watch this. Get your pen ready. For my yoke is what? Easy. Would you circle that word? Easy. And my burden is light. Now, Jesus is talking about the yoke or the harness that is put on a pair of oxen when they are pulling a plow and they're working. So he's saying, hey, get in the yoke with me and let me show you how to do life. But here's the thing, and this comes from John Ortberg. I love this quote. Easy is a soul word, not a circumstance word. If you aim at having easy circumstances, your life is going to be hard all around, but aim at having an easy soul and your capacity for tackling hard circumstances will actually grow as you do all of life with God. And that's one reason that sheep get cast is because they're looking for a soft spot. But here's another cause that Roger mentioned. It's when they're too heavy. You know, all that weight can make it hard to be agile. Like he said, when a sheep is pregnant, a shepherd just has to be vigilant and get her through those weeks. But many times, it's just about too much wool. And I appreciate how Keller, in his book, says that wool can get really heavy, matted with, like Roger says, mud and manure and burrs and debris, and the wool can be compared to the parts of our lives where I'm constantly in contact with the world around me. It's where I find things sticking to me, weighing me down. You see, the shepherd, what does he do? He has to get out the shears, just like in our lives. The Bible says, for the Lord disciplines and corrects those whom he loves. See, your shepherd wants to help you with your load. And so we're going to just take a look right now at four ways that you and I can get weighed down because we could be otherwise like a cast sheep on our back. Here's the first way: grudges. When you get resentful, thinking about revenge against somebody who's hurt you, it's a heavy weight on your soul. Now, life isn't fair. We know in God in heaven God's will is done perfectly, but on earth, there's a lot going on that is not God's will. And that's called sin. And as a result, people get hurt, innocent people. And you know, we shouldn't be surprised by it because we live in a world that is broken. But listen, the weight that your shepherd wants to help you with today is your response to the hurt. If you choose to start spewing and stewing and worrying and planning on revenge over a grudge that you're carrying, it's gonna be a heavy weight for your soul. You know what he wants you to do is to let it go. Look at what it says in Job chapter 5. To worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. And again in Job, it says you are only hurting yourself with your anger. When you hold on to a grudge, it's not hurting them. It's hurting you. What we learn from our shepherd is the answer is you let it go. Why? Not because they deserve it. They don't. But you don't deserve forgiveness. And yet God has forgiven you. You forgive others not because they deserve it, but because you don't want to carry the pain around anymore. And this was really helpful to me. The people who hurt you and annoy you are going to look really different to you and me when we see them with God. Like the gal at McDonald's who waits on you and gets your order wrong. You know she didn't do that to you. She's been on her feet all day. She's exhausted, too. And you can learn to see her through God's eyes. Let him lighten your load by restoring your soul and relieving you of grudges. Now, the second big weight that we need to acknowledge is guilt. We all have guilt, and nothing will put you on your back quicker than carrying around a load of guilt And it blows my mind how some people have this misconception of God. They think that he wants us to feel guilty. No, look at what David says in Psalm 38. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. You know what? God hates guilt. He loves to forgive it and relieve you of it. You only need to handle the weight of guilt long enough to realize it and then confess it. And then listen, receive Forgiveness. He wants you to enter a process of having your soul restored through receiving forgiveness. We have a friend who has shared with us that he almost destroyed his marriage by having an affair. And that after he entered into a process of honestly facing what had gone wrong in his soul and then confessing it and receiving forgiveness, now he says that even though he still hates, what he and his wife went through, that he can honestly say that he wouldn't change what he's gained. And, you know, that takes a restored soul who trusts in the shepherd to be able to say that. Now, another heavy weight that will make you a cast sheep is grief. Grief is something David had experienced. He had seen three of his own sons die. And look at how honest he is in Psalm 31. He says, Lord, have mercy because I am in misery. He's grieving. He's grieving. My eyes are weak from so much crying, and my whole being is tired from grief. You're going to have losses, not just through the death of loved ones, but everyday losses that are real. We have to learn how to grieve. There's no change without loss. What's too heavy for you, though, is unprocessed grief. You see, your shepherd wants to walk with you through it. He wants you to see that all the endings of our lives will be able to become new beginnings with him. And in two weeks, we're going to cover this when we talk about the valley of the shadow, and I really hope you're going to be with us. Well, listen, the last weight that we might mention today, and maybe it's heavier than any because we don't realize how heavy the burden is, is this little G word, gods gods now see like a sheep is needy you and i we're needy people and our need was meant to point us to the lord but instead we tend to fasten our minds and our wills and our bodies on other sources and those become gods like idols and i want to share an example from my childhood i have an older brother named kevin His mind is lightning fast. I mean, it never stops. He's naturally witty. And as a kid, I admired that. Now, when I was 12, I started to play the bassoon. How many of you know what a bassoon is? There's the educated ones. That's right. Well, one day I was getting my bassoon out to practice again, and Kevin said, Hey, Kim, you know how I can tell that you're getting better on the bassoon? I said, Well, how? He goes, Well, the ducks have stopped landing on the front porch. No, I wasn't offended at his comparison, because that's a pretty good description of a beginning bassoon player. I admired Kevin's wit. He made people laugh, and in my kid's mind, I figured, you know, that's what I needed to do, or else I wasn't significant. I mean, you know, knowing what to say, that would mean that I was likable, and it became a little g-god for me, and as an adult, Those yearnings for the approval of people just carried over into big people scenarios. And I remember the day when my shepherd showed me that I had made a God out of others' approval of me, that laughter and likability wasn't my significance, that he was. See, I'm not a fast thinker like Kevin. I'm a deep feeler. And I had to learn to accept that my creator, liked me that way he made me he accepted and loved me and i remember that day he lightened my load as i realized that little g god in my life you know god said you shall have no other gods before me do you know why he said that it's not like god has a big head it's because he knows it weighs you down can you think of anything or anybody that you have allowed to be a little god for you I mean, in the Bible, it's called idolatry. And we're just prone to having idols every day. It's the soul meeting its needs with anything that distances it from God. Maybe it looks like something good, too. Maybe you think you're, gonna, you're being a provider, but you're overworking And that's become a god to you, your job. Or maybe you want to grow your relationship so you love to post on Instagram, but you find yourself always running back to check for likes and more followers, and it's become a god to you. Or maybe you want to be a great parent to your little baby or your toddler, but you find yourself always comparing your children and your family to other families, and that's become heavy on your soul. You see... God wants to reveal that to you and lighten your load today. Now, all of these things, grudges, guilt, grief, and gods, these are heavy for you as a sheep, and they'll topple you over. And just like the sheep out in the field have predators wanting them on their back, well, you have an enemy who would love to see you stay on your back underneath the weight of what you've been carrying. And I want you to notice that the shepherd has to take action. He goes to get his wandering sheep, right? He finds the one who's been cast. He uprights it. He even takes out the shears and lightens that sheep's load. And what I want you to realize is the shepherd is not disgusted and put out with that sheep. Some of you today are thinking, you know, I've been wandering so long, the Lord's written me off. It's too late for me. Well, I just want to show you one more incredible picture I found. This sheep (laughs) was literally found in 2004 in New Zealand in a cave after hiding for six years. His name was Shrek. This really happened. That's not photoshopped, okay? Most sheep have a fleece weighing in under 10 pounds, maybe 15, but Shrek's weighed in at 60 pounds simply because he was wandering far away from his shepherd. He was weighed down. He was vulnerable. Now look at this picture. When Shrek was found, a professional sheep shearer took care of his burden in 28 minutes. What had taken him six years to grow. Isn't that incredible? It was on national TV. All Shrek had to do, though, was to come home to his shepherd. Maybe you are feeling weighed down today under grudges or guilt or grief. Or gods that have stolen your attention. But your compassionate shepherd is inviting you to come home to him. He restores my soul. Now that's what the word restores is about for me. But let's just think about the word he. We're taking this in reverse order. Can you tell? He restores my soul. Who is David thinking of? Well, let's talk about David's setting for a moment. You see... There are so many sheep in the Bible. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, you know, shepherds keeping watch over their sheep and all that stuff. They're everywhere. Well, one of the purposes of sheep has to do with their sacrificial system. See, the Jewish people knew that God was a holy God and that it was a big deal to stay in a right relationship with a holy God. And they had learned from the Old Testament scriptures that whenever a person would sin... There's that Bible word again. What is that word sin? Well, it's actually a word from archery, and it means missing the mark, the bullseye of God's perfection. The people of Israel had learned that when they sinned, that they had to take special steps, that at least for a temporary restoration, that blood had to be spilled, and many times it would be a sheep. And they would take a sheep to the temple and its blood would be spilled and sacrificed and it covered their sin for a while longer, at least until they sinned again. Can you imagine how many sheep that would take? I mean, just look at this room. What if every time we sinned and messed up, we had to go kill another sheep? I imagine David as a shepherd here looking out over his flock and he didn't know how God would do it but he knew that God had promised that he would send a savior, a way to help his people with their sin problem. He didn't know that his name would be Jesus. But here, when David says, he restores my soul, it's so profound because he's prophetically describing Jesus, our shepherd, who would one day, not as a temporary fix, but for all time, Pay the price for your sin and mine. He, Jesus, restores my soul. Jesus. Listen to this powerful declaration out of Hebrews about how he came to be the one sacrifice for all time. It says he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now The Bible says that Jesus alone restores my soul. That he is the way, the truth, and the life that no one can even come to God except through Jesus. That name, Jesus, is the one we put our hope in here at Twin Cities. And if you are not clear on who the he is, that he, Jesus, restores my soul, it'll make you miserable. And this is where many people get confused when they say the Lord is my shepherd. Is he really Lord? Have you made Jesus your Lord? I've heard so many people say, well, you can't say that Jesus is the only way. I mean, that's so bigoted, so narrow. So they want to take a loose view and say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere because, you know, all roads lead to heaven. Well, think of it this way. What if you wanted to take a vacation to Hawaii? So you board a plane, you get buckled in your seat, you're taxiing down the runway and and you get up in the sky and you hear the voice of the captain come on the speaker and it says he says good morning ladies and gentlemen i'm so glad you chose to fly with us service to honolulu hawaii we're going to be cruising at an altitude of 32,000 feet and we're going to show you a movie and you think well that sounds good and then he says and you know About this whole instrument panel thing, I'm just really not so sure. I mean, the the knobs and the, the, the indicators go on forever up here. I mean, you know, fuel, altitude. I mean, who cares? I think it's so narrow to worry about what they say. You know, and I'm feeling really good about this because we know those islands are out there, so let's just go find them. Besides, all roads lead to Honolulu. And by the way, I'm very sincere about this. We have a lunatic in the cockpit. (laughs) When you think of it that way, it's frightening. You don't let just anyone fly the plane. What about your health? Would you help let somebody without their credentials do a surgery on you? I mean, about those things, we take seriously who we trust. But about the most important matter of all, the condition of our souls, and where we're gonna spend eternity, Many people want to take a loose view and say, oh, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're true to your beliefs. Listen, it does matter because every one of us is a sinner and we need a savior who can restore our soul. Only one paid for your sin. Jesus is the one who can bring you back, who can set you right side up. Now, we've looked at these words. we talked about our soul and how they're restored and who he is. But here's the question I want to leave us with today. Who is responsible for the condition of my soul? Well, the answer is, I am. Well, wait, you you might think, Kim, you just said that he restores my soul and it's his job. Well, yes, he pursues his wandering sheep and he wants to put his cast sheep back upright. But remember what a soul is. He gave you a mind and a will, and he will never override your will. Look at how David says some people decide to respond. This is another animal picture. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Now, why would David compare a person to a mule? It's because he had tried that approach. I mean, he had resisted God. He had fallen into sexual sin. He had committed adultery, then lying to cover himself, then murder. But God kept pursuing David. And do you know that this whole book is a narrative about God relentlessly pursuing you? He never gives up. When David finally turned around and experienced God's mercy, that's when he wrote about this mule option. He said, don't do it. And no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, I mean, you may not be struggling today with adultery or murder, but you still get to decide. You get to be responsible for the condition of your soul. You're in charge of your response to your shepherd. Jesus did his part. You know, nobody took Jesus' life from him on the cross. He willingly gave himself. And your part is to come to him. Now, you might think, well, I'm a Christian. I'm taking care of that. Well, I'm, I'm talking about the next step. I mean a daily coming to him. I mean engaging with him, going deeper with him, searching for him more often than you do a Google search. Like when we hear Ron... Give us a challenge that we're going to all memorize, Psalm 23. Do you know that nobody but you can decide if you are part of we, right? Whether or not you're going to seek him and hide his word in your heart. The shepherd leaves the choice to you. If you're going to respond like his very own sheep. And now I want to share with you a scripture about how, how Jesus pictures your response. And as I read these words from John 10... We're gonna have Shannon and Michael and Dave come out because they're gonna share a beautiful song with us about coming to him for restoration. But Jesus says, the sheep recognize his voice, the shepherd's voice, and come to him. He walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Do you hear his voice? It's your responsibility to come because this is the bottom line. For my soul to be restored, I must come to the shepherd. No more isolating, no more resisting. Today is the day to close the distance between you and the shepherd. In fact, not just come, how about do like the song says and run to him. He's the one who knows you best, but he gave everything to restore your soul. It's like a secret place. A personal encounter with your shepherd. Will you trust him? Let him restore your soul. talk to our shepherd, shall we? Lord, we're just so grateful for what the words of that song said. It's so true that your arms are always open wide. And that you have a desire to hear chains hit the floor. That it's not okay with you. That we have lived under a burden. And so this morning, we thank you for being our secret place. We thank you for the cross. And that your death and your resurrection is the whole thing that achieved for us freedom and restoration. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for being the healer of our souls. And we give to you our humble gratitude now. In Jesus' name, amen.